Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome. <laughs> I lost my little clock here. Let me check back here. Okay, we, we got this. Um, thank you. Even better. Uh, Thank you for joining us and actually participating in these things that draw us closer to God, to each other, and help us look deeper into ourselves with anticipation that God will actually transform us. That's what the spiritual disciplines are. That's all they are. It's just simply things we do that connect us with God, that connect us with each other, and they help us see ourselves more clearly, and they transform us. They're physical thing. This morning you stood and you sang with your voice. You prayed. You thought and you prayed. You meditated. You took the Lord's Supper. You ate. You drank. You gave. All of these things are physical things that we do. And there's so much power in those things. There's so much more power than just the things that we think or the things that we accept as probably true. That's why we're spending time applying how to use the spiritual disciplines to overcome the seven deadly sins in our lives. This is the third week in a seven-week series called Seven, and we're walking through each one of these. But before we go any further, I want to make it really clear one more time that what we're talking about here is two levels. Uh, on the one level, there are sins, actual actions, just like the spiritual disciplines, except they're the things that, that we physically do that break us and tear us up. And then there are spiritual disciplines, the good things that we do, we physically do, that draw us closer to God. But... There's a whole nother level that we don't have control over. As powerful as those are, as important as they are, there's a whole nother level. There's sin itself. We can't conquer that without Jesus' help. And there's Jesus himself and his Holy Spirit inside of us. And they've got power that we do not. If you would, read aloud with me Romans 3, 23 and 24 this morning. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely... By his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Jesus used this metaphor. It made a lot more sense 2,000 years ago, but I think it makes sense today, and so we're going to use it. It's kind of like big sin, capital S sin, the concept of sin, our sinful nature, the deadly sin that draws us away from God and ruins us, is like a camel. And the actions around it, the actual things we do because of sin in our lives are like the gnats around the camel. Now, if you had a pet camel, chances are you'd have a gnat problem. And you'd have two choices about how to deal with that gnat problem. One would be you'd just dedicate your life to swatting gnats. You're just constantly trying to find better gnat repellent. You're constantly trying to kill all the gnats. The other thing you could do is get rid of the camel. Does that make sense? And, and, and in this sense, this is how this works. Only Jesus can get rid of the camel. But once the camel's gone, there's still a few gnats around, and that's where the spiritual disciplines come in. This is exactly the metaphor he was using when he was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They love to reduce sin and righteousness down to just lists, a to-do list and a to-don't list. That's all they wanted to think about, because it's easy to define. It's easy to justify. It's easy to feel good about yourself or really bad about someone else if all you're doing is looking at lists. But Jesus said this, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And sometimes what happens is we get so, we we look so shallowly at our sins 
that we start thinking that that is sin itself and it's not. Only Jesus can help us defeat sin itself. But the spiritual disciplines are what help us totally wipe out the sins in our lives. They're what help us totally embrace the righteousness that he and his spirit in us can create. I hope that's clear. And we're going to keep on going. This is especially clear today because this sin that we're, the seven deadly sin that we're talking about today is gluttony. And of all of them, this is probably one of the ones that we're probably all guilty of. It's also one that is very easy to kind of turn into a to do and to don't list. And I want to make sure that we don't do that this morning. Gluttony is not just eating too much or drinking too much. Those are symptoms. Those are the gnats around the camel. Gluttony is an unrepentant sense of greed. It's a lifestyle where we seek pleasure at all costs. If we want something, it gives us pleasure. We're willing to sacrifice anything, any cost, any damage to ourselves, our own bodies, our families, our relationships. If we want something, we're going to do that, period. We don't care what God thinks. We don't care what anybody else thinks. We're just going to do it. That attitude is gluttony. And a lot of times that is manifested in we eat too much or we drink too much, but that is so shallow. Those are swatting gnats. Is this making sense? Are you guys getting this? And on the other side of this are the cardinal virtues of abstinence and charity. And once again, we tend to reduce these to simple little lists, and we miss the whole point again, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. On one level, abstinence is just being able to say no to something. And charity is being able to give or to share. But it's deeper than that. Abstinence, the virtue of abstinence is where we totally embrace and live by the self-control that God gives us. The God-given self-control that he gave each one of us, even before we're Christians, we have way more self-control than most of us give ourselves credit for. But the Holy Spirit in us gives us a superhuman, a supernatural level of of self-control that we don't even try to access near enough. And abstinence is where we we live in a place where we're free. We're not bound by anything. There are no addictions. There are no things that control us. There are no things that we need Jesus and also this. I I love coffee. Anybody that knows me knows that. I love, love coffee. Yesterday I went the whole day with no coffee and no caffeine at all. It was one of my spiritual disciplines. I had to see if I could still do it. And I did. And it was okay. I fell asleep about halfway through the day. Um, it, it, but, but it worked. It, it worked. Here's the point. If, if we start trying to make rules like, hey, it's wrong for you to drink coffee because I'm addicted to coffee. That, we just missed the whole point. If we start saying, hey, coffee is fine. Everybody else shut up. Coffee is just okay, period. We're also missing the whole point. Do you understand what I mean? And so abstinence and charity are where we completely live in the freedom that God offers us. It's where we willingly live and choose to make choices in the right directions and not in the wrong directions. It's the freedom that God gives us. And when we live in a gluttonous perspective, we miss the whole thing. Here's another example. A lot of things that Jesus did makes a lot more sense when you understand what we just walked through. For example, Jesus was known as a a drunkard and a glutton because he would eat and drink with lost people. But it wasn't because he was indulging himself. It wasn't out of selfishness. It wasn't out of his mindless desire for pleasure. He was just trying to reach out to them and he was eating and drinking with them to find fellowship with them. 
One of the worst things that happens in gluttony is it, it, it turns stuff that God created to be good. Stuff that God created, like food and drink, to bind us together, to create wonderful memories, to give people who are great cooks an art form to exercise. It, it, he created good things, but it turns it into things that isolate us, things that break us, things that keep us trapped and addicted. That's why God hates it so much. But in Luke chapter 7, you see a woman coming to Jesus and she basically pours her entire life savings all over his feet. And Jesus doesn't consider this wasteful. He doesn't consider this gluttonous. He sees it as a beautiful thing. You can be completely abstinent in the true sense and be luxuriously exuberant and, and, and lavish at the same time. Because you're living in freedom and you're making choices in the right directions. This is possible. Yet by the same token, that's why we can't reduce gluttony just down to eating and drinking and things like that. Because you could literally be completely consumed by the, the real, true, deep, seven deadly sin level of gluttony and never eat too much or drink too much at all. You're just, you just live totally selfishly and that doesn't have to be, happen to be your temptation. That's a pretty common temptation. Robert Brialt says this, As to the seven deadly sins, I deplore pride, wrath, lust, envy, and greed. Gluttony and sloth, I pretty much plan my day around. <laughs> True. Here's another one. This is just six words long, but man, this is real. George Herbert says, Gluttony kills more than the sword. And that's true. More people die every single year because of food or drink-related causes than by guns or any other weapons, than by wars or anything else. The thing, eating too much, eating the things that aren't good for us, drinking too much, drinking and driving, all of these things kill way more people and destroy our joy far more than these others. But again, let's not make a straw man argument. Who knows this besides me and Seth Gunner? Ever heard this term? All right, a couple more people. All right, but here's the thing. A straw man is where you set up a thing and you go, okay, here we go. This is what it looks like to be gluttonous. Every day you eat at least three donuts. Every day you drink at least two glasses of wine. Every day you we make this list, okay? And then we go, hey, I only drank one glass of wine and I only ate one donut, so I am not gluttonous. And we miss the whole point. Okay? Again, let's not do that. How many times have you heard someone say, maybe it was your own mouth saying this, well, it's, I know that's wrong, but it's not like I, okay? At least I'm not, I know that's bad, but at least I'm not as bad as, right? Axe murderers don't get much love. You ever hear that? At least I'm not an axe murderer. I hope so. I hope you're not. But, but what, a, what a total waste of time to talk like that. All throughout time, though, God's people would refer back to Sodom and Gomorrah as the ultimate people. They were like our axe murderers or Hitler or something. They'd go, well, at least we're not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. Ironically, Jesus himself several times said that the people of his day would be worse off on the day of judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah were because they looked the Messiah in the eye and rejected him. And they had all the law, all the prophets, all of the stuff that was leading up to the Messiah, and they should have known better. And listen carefully to what the prophet Ezekiel said to God's own people in Ezekiel 16. These are the words of God through his prophet. He says, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud 
and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Now, on another day, we'll explore that the detestable sins, does, that does refer to some of their sexual sins. I'm not trying to dance around that. But what I do hope we notice this morning is where those came from. It came from pride, which two weeks ago we explored this together. Pride is essentially where we say, I know better than God. I know God says this, but I think this, and I'm going to act on that. That's the essence of all sin in one way or another. It's also the gluttony. Sodom's sins were pride and gluttony. Again, it's this idea. Look, I like this, and I'm going to do it no matter what it costs. I don't care if it hurts me. I don't care if it hurts someone else. I don't care what it does. I like it. I'm going to do it. Laziness is simply not getting the stuff done that needs to be done. Mostly because you're wasting all your time and energy and money and everything else on the things that you like and you're willing to do that at all costs. And because Sodom had completely given themselves over to pride, gluttony, and laziness, also known as sloth, this bled into every area of their lives. Eating, drinking, abandoning the poor, and the sexual sins that they're famous for. So we've got to break free from gluttony. You may not have any kind of an eating problem. You may be very disciplined about how and what and where and why you eat. But this is something that we're all tempted by. We're all guilty of in one way or another. We've got to make sure that we can break free from that. John Foreman says, greed, envy, sloth, pride, and gluttony. These are not vices anymore. No, these are marketing tools. Lust is our way of life. Envy is just a nudge toward another sale. Even in our relationships, we consume each other. Each of us looking for what we can get out of the other. Our appetites are often satisfied at the expense of those around us. In a dog-eat-dog world, we lose part of our humanity. We live in a world that's completely consumed by and actually actually really exalts the idea of gluttony and doesn't realize it. Paul warned us about this. He wrote to Timothy, In the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. That's gluttony. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. It's so important that we break free. It's so important that we help each other break free. It's so important that we love each other enough that we're willing to speak the truth in love and help each other make sure that we break free. Here's what we should not do. We should not be Oompa Loompas. Yeah, that's creepy. I get it. But, but here's, here's why I'm into it. If you actually watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or read the book, the book's even better. Uh, but here, here's the thing. Uh, each one of those kids, in one way or another, actually kind of point to one of the seven deadly sins. I don't know if he did that on purpose or how that worked. But the one that represents gluttony is Augustus Gloop. And when the Oompa Loompas remove him from the situation, they sing this song. Listen how judgmental this is. 
How long could we allow this beast to gorge and guzzle, feed and feast on everything he wanted to? Great Scott, it simply wouldn't do. However long this pig might live, we're positive he'd never give even the smallest bit of fun or happiness to anyone. So they judge him. They write him off and they haul him off and they take him out of the equation. That's not what God's calling us to do this morning. You with me? Rescuing someone from sin, opening our, my eyes, opening your eyes. This is something we do together in love and we keep everybody on the team. In Romans, Paul says, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So what does that look like? First, we've got to focus on abstinence. And the true, deep, big dog level of abstinence that is the virtue of abstinence. Just choosing to abstain from something is almost always a really good choice. But even sometimes we can abstain from things or whatever for bad reasons. That's one of the dangers of these seven daily sins. They can turn even good things into sin because we do them for the wrong reasons. We do them selfishly. We do them for pride. We do them to impress others instead of to draw us closer to God. But abstinence is where we choose to be in full control. And a lot of times what that means or what that takes is we do have to take a break from something. We have to fast or sometimes take a Nazarite vow and we stop cutting our hair or our beards like a lot of people are doing down at uh, the hill right now. But, but the idea is that we do this because we don't do it because it's on our to don't list and we just have to do it for some reason. God just said, don't do it. So I don't do this. I just don't eat this. We do it deliberately. We'd say, okay, out of reverence for God to make sure that I am free from sin, to make sure that I am not living in gluttony, that gluttony is not driving the train. The Holy Spirit in me is driving the train. I'm going to abstain from this for this amount of time, or I'm going to abstain from this for the rest of my life. One way or another, we make these choices. I'm going to abstain because God has given me control. Because this person can't handle it when I do that yet. Or whatever. Whatever that idea is, we make these choices. And again, our natural sense of self-control is so much stronger than most of us think. So much stronger than our culture today even guesses. And the self-control the Holy Spirit gives us is supernatural and superhuman. We can choose to do and not to do anything with the power of God. Romans 6, 16 says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, you say, I am not allowed to do, oh, I am, sorry, you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is one, a really powerful verse full of so much truth. It's also one of our traditional Oompa Loompa songs that we like to sing to each other when we're trying to get somebody else to stop something. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, know, I know somebody that, or I heard about somebody, I don't know them personally, but somebody used this verse against them because they had a bunch of tattoos. 
So they showed him a picture of the Sistine Chapel. And they said, I do this because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm decorating it to make it look as good as possible for my God. Now, I'm not making a case for tattoos or against tattoos today. That's not my point. My point is, there's a little wiggle room in how to interpret this idea. The thing there's not wiggle room about is this. The Holy Spirit of God himself lives inside of you. We are the tabernacles. We are the walking around temples of God. We, wherever we go, the Spirit of God goes. The tangible, physical presence of God goes wherever we go. This is part of our job as Christians. And that really should matter in the choices that we make every day. That really should matter in how we invest our time and our money and our energy. It really should matter in the things that we don't invest our time and our money and our energy in. Of course it should matter in every part of our lives, including how much we, how much we drink, how much we spend on ourselves. Because this is a deep perspective thing. It's so much deeper than just you shouldn't eat more than this or you should eat this instead or whatever else. Philippians 3, 18 to 21 says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. They think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So what does that look like? It involves focusing on charity. We must focus on charity. Sharing and giving are tangible expressions of this. But again, charity is providing for others the same way we provide for ourselves. Jason shared the same verse that this idea is rooted in today. Jesus said the two greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he added, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The opposite of those two things is gluttony. Does that make sense? But when we totally love God with everything we have and we love each other at the same level we love ourselves, we start sharing naturally. If I've got food and you don't, I share my food. If I've got something you don't have, I share it with you. If you have something I don't have, we share back. It's a natural thing because we love each other the way that we love ourselves. Paul writes in Romans 13, all the commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Now, let me pause for just a moment. We're not done with this passage. But once again, this is where the spiritual discipline comes in. The power of Jesus broke the power of sin itself. We cannot do that. But in that freedom, in a world where Jesus broke the power of sin and death, and he, when we are obedient to him, puts the Holy Spirit inside of each one of us, now we have the choice daily to do what this is talking about. We daily clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We daily put aside the dirty laundry 
the stuff that we used to clothe ourselves with. These are the daily spiritual discipline choices that we make. Romans 13 continues, because we belong to the day, we must list, we, I'm sorry, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. See, it's not just that God hates certain things. He doesn't hate donuts. You know, are you with me on this? It's not that he, he's so upset about these things. It's he knows what happens when the good things get turned into bad things. He knows how much that destroys us. And he knows how important the good things are. Matthew 25 has three famous stories in it. And they all are talking about, in one way, or, one way or another, this concept of charity, the biblical concept of charity and how important that is to God. In the story of the ten virgins, they, the, the ladies were given oil and lamps, and their job was they were supposed to light up a wedding. And some of them used it all up, just kind of lighting their own little party while they were waiting on the wedding to start. The sin was not that they burnt oil. That was part of what they were supposed to do. The sin was not using their lamps. That was part of it. The sin was they wasted what they'd been given and they were therefore not allowed or unable to do the job. The same thing with the talents. They were given money. They were asked to invest it and help their master build his business, his kingdom, his power on this earth. And each one of them, well, two of them tried. The other one did not. The sin was not burying money. The sin was not the act of digging a hole and putting money in it. The sin was he did not do his job. He saw his own perspectives, his own ideas, his own fears, his own judgment against his own master. He saw that as more important than what he'd been told to do. And the third story is the sheep and the goats. And I love this picture because... Notice that the sheep are not singing little songs and kicking all the goats out, right? They're being friends. But don't miss the fact that at the end, some of us are going to make it and some are not. And part of what Jesus is talking about here is he's saying that the sheep, the ones who truly hear his voice, the ones who are truly following the voice of the good shepherd, the ones who are truly being led through life, they just naturally are clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and giving water to the thirsty and giving shelter to those who don't have shelter. They just naturally do it. And the ones who aren't, the ones who are just running around like goats. Have you ever seen goats kind of do their thing, just running around and randomly eating whatever they can eat? Okay, those guys, they just naturally don't take care of anybody else. They're just totally focused on themselves. And at the end, Jesus says, some, the sheep get in and the goats don't because the sheep are doing their job. In that same passage that Jesus is describing him being the good shepherd and how that works, he says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And ultimately, that's what this comes down to. We are gluttons in whatever way that is for each one of us, because we think that's going to be rich and satisfying, more so than whatever God has asked us to do or not do. But we're wrong. 
Gluttony is where we buy into lies that comes from a thief who's only here to kill and steal and destroy the stuff that God made good. God has come, Jesus has come, to give us a rich and satisfying life. And here's the good news. I know you guys, at least somebody had to have thought of this today. Why are we talking about this a couple weeks after Halloween candy and right before Thanksgiving dinner? Somebody out there has already thought of this, okay? And I hope that this is, I've made this as clear as possible that I'm not talking, I don't think it's a sin to eat Halloween candy. I don't think it's a sin to eat a lot of turkey. Do you with me? What, what, the sin is the selfishness and the darkness and the, the, you know, not buying Halloween candy for the kids and eating it all by yourself in the dark. That's a totally different thing. You're with me on this? But listen, Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners are good because God himself commanded a lot of feasts. Jesus, Jesus himself participated in all of those feasts. God created the whole idea of partying himself. And the reason was because he wanted us to celebrate the things that are good. And if we had a little extra, he wanted us to invite people in who did not have extra. And he wanted us to share with them. And he wanted the people that are really good and gifted at cooking to use that gift and share it with all their family and all their friends that they brought in. He wanted us to celebrate the things that are good, to enjoy it, to experience fellowship on a deep level. And, and, and that's why we have coffee every Sunday morning. It's because that's just one of the things that happened. Today we even had cookies and stuff like that. Put, put smile on people. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Never let the devil convince you that. The problem is the gluttony and all that that turns those good things into bad things. So this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, as we serve each other food, as we buy each other gifts, as we do whatever we're going to do, this coming Sunday night when we meet and we have our big fellowship dinner and our big praise service and we're inviting a bunch of people from the community, bring extra food, bring your best food, bring all your friends, bring all your family, bring everybody, let's celebrate. We're not going to eat each other under the table. It's not going to be a competition. We're not going to try and overeat as, as, as just to overeat. That's not the problem. But let's celebrate. Let's get past all the little to-dos and to-don'ts. And let's celebrate how thankful we are to God. And let's share the bounty he's given us with each other. Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Power of sin that leads to death. That's the seven deadly sin level of sin. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So how does God want to transform you this morning? There might be somebody here who the thing that you're struggling with does have to do with eating or drinking too much or eating or drinking the wrong things or something. That's part of this. Maybe that's all you need to repent of this morning. That's all you need to change. Maybe it's way bigger than that. Maybe your whole way of looking at life is all about you instead of all about Jesus. 
I'm not here to judge you. I'm not going to sing a little song and dance and kick you out. But I'm inviting you into the kingdom of God or back into it or back into the freedom that maybe you've been in the kingdom of God and you've had the Holy Spirit in you, but you just forgot how powerful that is. I'm inviting you to use the spiritual disciplines, the, the specific ones that are on the back of your handout today, that you use those to break free of anything you need to break free of and fully embrace the freedom and the joy that's in abstinence and charity on the other side. I invite you to come this morning if you have something you need to make public. If you just want prayer, people will pray with you. If you need to make some sort of a decision, we make you to do that. But no matter what, as we stand and sing, let's commit ourselves to God again. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.